another episode of That Anita Live. I'm Anita, your host, and I bring you emotional healing to help you create a happier life. Today, I am excited to have with me via Skype, Miss Darlene King. Miss Darlene King is a minister in the Pennsylvania area who is living with HIV. The story of how she contracted HIV is amazing. Don't know how you would feel, but I know how I would feel. Let's dig into Darlene's story and see how would you react in her situation. Hi, Darlene. Hi, Anita. First of all, thank you. I'm well. Thank you for inviting me to yourself. I'm really excited to be here with you. Thank you, obliging me for giving me the interview because I, I imagine you get contacted all the time with people asking you questions about your story. I do. Um, I, I do meet a lot of people on social media and I have since the book came out done several interviews, but it's very, very interesting how I don't do a lot of direct messages. So I, I, I believe it's only God when God ends up having me, you know, connect with someone yeah. through a direct message because I tend to ignore them. <laughs> Yeah, because you know you're you know you're getting crazy messages from all over the place. Because <laughs> somebody retweeted one of your tweets, and I said, "No, that can't that can't be right." And I, the more I dug, you know, because I read the tweet again, and then I clicked to view your Twitter profile, and then I clicked to go to your website, and I was like, I, "What? How? What? Who? How? This is above and beyond grace." Yes. I can't I can't even imagine this is above and beyond grace. So let's let's dig a little into your story of tell tell us how you met my husband, ex-husband, mm -hmm. um now who's my husband's deceased now, but we've known each other for our entire lives. We knew each other as kids when from the time we were about twelve years old. We went to middle school and high school together. We were boyfriend and girlfriend off and on through the years. And around the ten, at our 10 year high school reunion, we started dating again, seriously, now as older uh, individuals. And at that point I was, I was going through a divorce. He was separated from his children's mother mm -hmm. and we began to date. And that's how we became back into each other's lives. So and how long after you met at the 10th anniversary high school reunion? I've never been to one of mine. <laughs> Thank God. How long after you met at the 10th anniversary high school reunion did you two marry? Oh, my. How long was it before we married? Because we got married in 92. We got married in 92. The reunion was in 87. So I never counted the years. Uh, was that about five years after? Yeah, we got back together. But the thing is, when we got back together at the reunion, we didn't, it wasn't like a continuously, we were together. We got back together at the reunion. Unfortunately, that's when, you know, he's cheating. I didn't know 
till later in life, actually after we were married, the extent of his habitual cheating, but he was court several times cheating and we broke up. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I can't be, I actually said to him, I can't be with you. You're cheating with all these people. I said, you're going to contract HIV. I told him that years ago. And we we believe that that is the period in which we did contract HIV. We just didn't know it at that time. And so when we found out. How did you catch him or find out that he was cheating? I said one time his sister actually told me about someone he brought to her house. So she and she's just a woman of faith and she's a woman of faith and she felt like it was wrong and she called him out on it. And, you know, so that was like the, that was, that was one of the first times. And what uh, what was his response? His response every time is one of, it's never going to happen again. I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I don't care anything about them. It's, It's always you. I've always loved you. That has always been his response. Every time it was court cheating over the entire years that we have been together, it was always once he got court. I'm sorry, it's never going to happen again. Now, why I believed it repeatedly over and over again, that's a whole nother story. But it's just, you have to realize that my life has had to be evaluated in hindsight. When I think about all the things that occurred with us from the beginning, from the time we, you know, first got back together seriously, which was, you know, high school. When you're kids, you know, your boyfriend and girlfriend wasn't anything serious. But once we started dating and at the, at the reunion, mm-hmm. then it was serious. And I've had to just look at it in hindsight. And he was very good at convincing me that I was number one, that all those other women did not matter. It's only you. Mm. And I bored it. I bored it for years until it is after that I had to really look at, you have to evaluate it and look at how you feel about an individual. You think that individual feels the same way about you, like that same love and concern and compassion that I had. I believe that I had a husband who felt the exact same way. And I believed it for years. And I always attributed the cheating to the enemy is trying to destroy us as a couple. I've always looked at it as the enemy is trying to destroy us as a couple. And I said, he's going to see. He's going to wake up and he's going to see. He's going to see the power and the also really not power. I would say more of a responsibility of how God can take this situation and use two ministers in the gospel to help others, couples and others living with HIV. I always saw that. I always saw that working, me and him working together would be able to impact a lot of couples that are struggling and a lot of individuals that are struggling. And I think so that he when had- you, when you met at the reunion, you both were already in ministry? No, no, no. Okay. We weren't in ministry when we started dating at the high school reunion. This is over time. So let's, well, let's back up a little bit. I found out that I was HIV positive by giving blood where I worked. I worked for years in benefits administration. And we always had a Red Cross come to our 
job for blood drops. They came pretty much every quarter. And every quarter I gave um, my blood type is O negative. So, you know, that's a universal blood type. So whenever I would come to the blood drives, they would always say, you make sure you come when we come back. You know, we always need O negative, you come. So for years, I has felt so special going to these blood drives and making my contribution to the blood drive. And in January of 90, I gave the blood in December. In December of 90 is when I gave the blood. And in January of 91, I got a letter from the Red Cross, the most impersonal letter that you're ever going to receive. And the letter basically said, your blood has tested positive for HIV. Your name has been added to a list. Don't ever come to the blood drive again. If you do this and this and this is going to happen to you. And it was just all these don'ts. Mm -hmm. So whereas... I'm special, I'm special and my blood is special for all these years. You are no longer special and neither is your blood and don't come here again is basically oh. what they were saying. Now I smile and I laugh now mm -hmm. and I've heard from others over the years that they have changed their methods. That it is not just you getting a letter in the mail with no phone calls, no references of where to go and what to do. Um, I've heard that it has changed. But uh, that's how we found out. So it, one of the things I said in the letter is you have to contact everyone that you have had sex with in the past 10 years. Okay, so and in hold, my on, case, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because when you open the letter, you know, you get home from work, you're rushing mm -hmm. through the day, you, you open the mail just to stay current of what's going on, and you open this letter from the Red Cross, and then emotionally what hits you? You are in such a shock that it is unreal. It was like, I think I freaked out inside, internally. It's like you're freaking out, but you don't have anybody to freak out with because you're scared. So it's not like, you know how some letters you get, you might run, tell your mom, your dad, your sisters, and everyone, you're not going to believe I got this letter notifying me. But for me, it was such a shock, but it was also something I felt like I can't tell anybody. So I had no support, no support anywhere because it was like, you're internally completely freaking out, but you have to hold the fact, at least you don't have to, but I'm telling you how right, I felt that, right, right. that I got to hold the fact that this is happening. I was in denial. I was like, this, 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 this is wrong. They mixed it up. I was just in such denial and I was just in such panic mode that it was unbelievable. So did you, you put it, did you put it down and leave it to the side for a while? I or? ripped it up, which is one thing that I'm sorry that I did because I would have loved to have had it to show people what, you, what not to do. This is it. I would like, like to be able to have it and scan it and say, this is what you do not do when you notify someone. But I ripped it up. Um, it was like this piece of paper is the only thing that I have that I can attack. So I just ripped it. I shredded it. I just ripped it up. This is all my anger was directed at this one little piece of paper. There's nothing else and, that I have. And I just, I just ripped it. I just ripped it and internally I'm crying internally I'm lost internally I'm just so then just did, you, did, you, did you just go on with your day or with your life like nothing ever happened or 
that day, I think I might probably went to bed <laughs> and just didn't talk and didn't say anything. That day, I was just a mess. But one one of the things, as the list of things that it told us, told me to do was contact everyone that you've had sex with in the past 10 years. So at that point, it was my children's father and him. We don't have any children together. So, and we weren't even dating. We had broke up. He broke up because he was cheating, or cheating again. So we broke up at that point. So we weren't even together at this point. But of course, I have to call them. So I called the children's father and everybody got tested. So the kid's father, they got tested and he got tested. But this is where, this is where the whole deception and lie begins. The moment that I called him and told him about the letter from the Red Cross, he already knew he was HIV positive. He already knew of other women who he had infected with HIV. He chose at that moment to completely lie. So our entire marriage relationship was based on what happened at that moment. He said, I don't care. I love you. I've always loved you. Now, this is someone that I love. I love, but my thing was, I can't get past the cheating. But in my heart, I felt like when he said he loved me, that he really loved me. So and I had made a mind and said at that moment, he's never going to cheat again. We now have HIV. So the cheating is going to end. He's never going to cheat. So did he admit to you in that conversation that he also had it? Or did nope, he say did not. he did not he have did not. it, but he would love you anyway? He didn't. What he said was, I'll go and I'll get tested, but it doesn't matter. But the thing is, he did know. He had already been tested. He had already knew. He had knew those other individuals was infected. He knew and they knew. But he chose at that moment to lie and say he didn't. But that I didn't find that out two years later. Years later is when I found out that the moment that I told him, he already knew. He knew he had infected me and he knew he had infected all these other individuals. And he finally admitted it years later, well, years wait, later. Wait, wait, wait a minute, because let's, let's kind of unfold it and walk through your story step by step. Okay. So you've met him at the, at the reunion. You guys have... Dated off and on over a five-year period. You decide to get married. Um, you, you you break up because he you caught him cheating. Actually, his sister ratted him out. You know, thank, big ups to sis for, for being a woman of faith. Um, and then donating blood at your job. So in learning from the Red Cross with the letter, did your job also find out? No, because this information was all of the information that you do with the Red Cross mm -hmm. is supposed to be private. So okay. they've always said anytime you give blood, this is basically you're in the Red Cross's database. It doesn't have anything to do with your job information. Your job is just the location that they're having the blood drives. Okay, so but then when you fill out that paperwork, it's going directly to the Red Cross. So then how do you two begin to to speak again this do you start to date again does he begin to console you because he's giving you the impression that you were hiv positive and he is not we begin to date again he begins to console me he begins to i love you i want to marry you and initially my response was no i said no i don't want to get married but over time he just wore me down of all this love and infatuation and in which i believe but wait a minute what made you when once he wore you down and you said i do 
Okay, you two got married, got married. at the Justice of the Peace, at the church. At yeah, we got married at church. We had a wedding. We had a, it wasn't a huge wedding, but it was a substantial mm -hmm. wedding. You family, know, family, family and friends family, were present. Friends and people from church, yes. So okay, it was so a, was, there, was there anybody in your friendship or in your family, was there anybody on your camp that said, Darlene, mm, I don't know about this one. I don't. I don't know about this one. My mother. Really? My mother didn't agree at all with me marrying him. And when things completely ended and fell apart, now it's 2003, my mother said to me, he turned out to be worse than I even thought he was. And, and that sticks with me till today. When mom was, was giving you, the, even if she didn't say it, she had moms have that. She inner, said it. Wow. Yes. They, okay. She so said it. When, mother told me don't marry him. Yes, she did. What did you say? I said, mom, I know the things that he's done in the past. Mm -hmm. He has changed and we are in love. My feeling was he's never going to cheat. He's never going to cheat again. This is a whole different circumstance. This is a whole different situation that we're in. And we are going to not only be together, but we are going to help other people living with this disease. That was my thought. And that was my thought from the beginning. And he never had any intentions of telling anyone that he was HIV positive. Uh, he forbid me from, as after we got married, he forbid me from telling anyone that we were HIV positive. So this was the big thing for him that for in his mind that started this huge uprising in our marriage i now a couple years in we've married and and uh, we're both dedicated you know to church as far as all the youth programs and all the activities that's going on in church and i was at a prayer breakfast and i don't even remember the topic all i remember is being so emotional and so torn that i broke down and I told the women at the prayer breakfast that I was HIV positive. Wow! The women responded, the women wrapped their arms around me. But when he found out that I told the women at the prayer breakfast, he went off. But for me, it was very freeing. It was very, um, it was like a release. Mm -hmm. It was a release having my friends and the women who are still my friends today having them having their support and them wrapping their arms around me i needed that support from other women and, and my friends and i received it so for him it was devastating but for me it was wonderful having my friends know and having my supreme support me in the way they did and it's even more beautiful when i look at it today of two of the women that just uh and they know who they are carl and Di. they just never let go of me and Paulette, the three of them, they just never let go. I mean, mm -hmm. they're my friends today. They've always been my friends. And I'm saying, I thank God for them because you really need that. You need that support. I know sometimes it's hard for people to tell, mm -hmm. but you need a support system. I'm so thankful for the support system I have. And not only my girlfriends, but my sisters, my sisters and my mom, my mom has passed away now, but my sisters and my mom, I don't know where I would be without my sisters my mom and my friends. You yeah. had to feel as if you were in a safe space. 
I did. I felt that moment that I was in a safe space. But this is what I would say to all women, not just Christian women, but women, period. When we have like groups like that of women just coming together, we should always hold the safety and the confidence, no matter what the topic is. It could be breast cancer. It could be a divorce. It could be whatever. But if somebody releases in a safe space of just women, we as women need to keep that. Keep that because you have to put yourself and say, what if I'm the one releasing in a safe space? So what happened is, unfortunately, some women went and gossiped. And a couple months later, our church is visiting my mother's church and the children are singing in the choir at the second service. And me and my mom is my daughter and my kids sing in the choir. And we're outside at the, me and my mom. We're just standing by the car waiting for the kids to take off their little robes and, you know, come out the church. So mom and I are just standing at the car. And my daughter comes and at this point, she's maybe 11, 12. She's young. And my daughter comes running out the church and said, um, I don't want to say the little girl's name, but she's down there telling everybody you have AIDS. And my heart, because I hadn't told the children at this point, my heart just came. It just, you're talking about your heart dropping. And I looked at my mother and my, my, me and my mother, we just sank. Mm. And that's when then we have to sit the children down. We have to sit the children down and tell the children. So it was like, it was bad enough for him that I told these women, but now we have children teasing our children, which should have never happened. That's something that should have never happened. And it wouldn't have happened if you, if women kept the safety of, of that. The circle, the sister circle. Did you have any people that just completely turned their back on you? Yes. It was interesting how older women, like the seniors, Mm -hmm. they stayed away from me. (laughs) Not all of them. There were some, there were some that was, you know, still very supportive and very close to me. But there was some that I noticed that never went anywhere near me. Was there anyone that was close to you that gave you that feeling of betrayal or disappointment by turning their back on you that you thought was close to you? And if they knew would be one of those yeah yes there were individuals like in my age range that i thought would be there that wasn't there and i was a little disappointed but it balances itself out because what happens is the people who you hadn't said to yourself oh they're going to be in my corner those are the ones that those you know you have end up with individuals totally in your corner that you had not anticipated would be in your corner for years. I'm talking about my, this, this has been, let me I'm losing track of the years, 26 years now. It'll be 26 years from this January. Mm-hmm. And that's how my friends have been for the past 26 years. They've been there to support me and the children. Unbelievable. Is there anyone that is shocked that you're still here? That is shocked that I'm still alive? Mm-hmm. Me, I don't think there's anybody more shocked than me. I uh, I was convinced in '91 you could not have told me that I was going to die in the next couple of years. I was convinced that I was going to die, which is why now today I have to speak out 
So once we got married, my husband then had another baby by his children's mother. The baby we got married on Valentine's Day, me being the hopeless romantic, of course, um, I picked Valentine's Day as our wedding day. Mm -hmm. So we got married on Valentine's Day. And one year later, exactly on Valentine's Day, his children's mother had another baby by him that was born on my first wedding anniversary. So we went through that period of complete shock of having, now I have another baby okay. by somebody else mm -hmm. on my anniversary. <laughs> How did you find out? Oh, she called me and told me. She I, called I, me all the time. I love how the people I interview, they just kind of just roll through the milestones and events that are connected to their experience in their journey. I mean, they just kind of roll past it like everybody else is, you know, uh, accustomed to. And, and just, oh, okay, yeah, I understand. Your husband, you know, you find out that your husband just had another child. Okay, I, yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. I get that. No. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> and, and, and you're right. And, and it's like, I'm rolling through it 20, in 2017. I wasn't rolling through it with a smile on my face. In 19, what was that? That would have been. So you answered, ring, that ring. That would have been 93. Hello? Okay, so you answered the phone. Ring, ring. Hello. And what happens? Um, uh, she actually said, came to the house and said, oh. my my bed is open to him and it will always be open to him. And that was in the beginning. And, and that's exactly what it was then for years. And so when I found, he told me, I think, I think he told me that she was pregnant because you know, baby's coming, you know, you, you'll, find, you'll find out sooner or later. Mm -hmm. So then it wasn't as, it wasn't like I had all this, oh, okay, no problem. It was a big blow up, you know what I mean? It was a big argument. It was a big fight. And me still being at a place where the enemy is trying to destroy what we're trying to do to help children, what we're trying to do to help the community but we're trying to do to help people with, with HIV. So we made that decision. Okay, this is what we have. He's here, he's ours. I've always looked at him as mine. He was mine from the time that he was born. I never treated him any different than other, you know, what children made we you have. Stay? I had to, what what like made you had stay to, after that? What made you stay? So when I look at why did I stay, I sometimes have to say to myself, why did I stay? Why was that acceptable to me? Why was me being treated in such a manner acceptable? And the only answer I have to give myself, because I'm looking at it in hindsight, is I had to get to a place where the behavior and the treatment towards me was unacceptable. Because I, I really, I really want to kind of like pound on and hone that point home because there are so many women that are in this, that are in that are in this situation, and where they feel as if each time is the last time. Absolutely, that is exactly right. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I really want them to get the point that your man is not the first man to say that. Your man is not going to be the last man to say that. But you have to make a conscious choice for yourself. Welcome to That Anita Live TV on YouTube. Here at That Anita Live, I share episodes about emotional healing to help you create a happier life. How do I do that? Through awareness, education, and most importantly, you, the community. By sharing tips and techniques from real people with real stories of overcoming trauma and abuse to live relentless lives. Hanging out with me, you'll laugh, you'll learn, but most importantly, you'll heal. Never miss a moment. Subscribe to That Anita Live's YouTube channel today. Subscribe via thatanitalive.com forward slash YouTube. So I'm going to move up now to, I think that, that, that they, our youngest son, that was born the anniversary. He's now, I'm going to take a guess, I say five or six. I really can't remember the age, but very young. He's on the Pee Wee basketball team that he runs this basketball league. So he's now like in the Pee Wee league of the basketball. So he had this little friend who played basketball with him. My husband worked nights and sometimes weekends. So on the weekends, this little boy would always come over to our house, spend the weekend with us every weekend, go on Saturday to these Pee Wee basketball games that they have to go to. Either my husband's driving around or I'm driving the kids around and I'm taking them to all the activities they got to do all weekend. We all get up, go to church on Sunday morning, and we drop them off at his house on Sunday at the church. We did this for weeks. I don't even remember how many weeks. This particular Sunday, we go, same weekend, you know, we have them and we, they play, we get to his house Sunday, we drop them off. He pulls up in the car and his mother comes to the car just like she always does. And I knew, I looked at her and I looked at him. It's not like she said anything inappropriate. He didn't say anything inappropriate, but I looked at her and I looked at him and I said, he's sleeping with her. I knew it. I knew it in my heart. How I knew it, I don't know it. I think women just see. I think we see stuff that other people don't see. And I knew it. But now all, all five of the kids are in the car. I can't open my mouth. I didn't say a word. I waited till we got to the house and, and in our room by ourselves. And I said, you were sleeping with that baby's mother. You are always accusing me of something. No, I'm not. I didn't even went on and on. I said, you're sleeping with her. I said, and I know it. And he denied it, denied, denied, denied it up and down. Next day, she's on my phone. Well, I'm sorry you had to find out the way you did, but him and I are gonna be together. He is leaving you for me. And she just went on her kind, sweet voice. And I'm just listening. And I then finally, after she finished her declaration of love and them being together, I told her, 
that she could have him. And I said, did he tell you that he had HIV? And then her voice went silent on the phone. And then I, and then I said, <laughs> I said to her, I said, I'm going to presume from your silence that he did not. And I said, um, you know, basically, I think we ended the conversation with, you know, he's yours. Mm -hmm. So let's move forward. We get to 2003. And at this point, the cheating is just off the chain. He doesn't come home. I don't see him. He don't call. He don't answer his cell phone. He's just out there. I find out he's back on drugs. He's, you know, back on crack, marijuana, drinking, just out living the whole different nightlife in Center City in September of 2003. He didn't come home. He hadn't been home. And he finally comes home. At this point, I'm no longer going to church and I'm not sending my girls to church. His oldest son lived with us. So he's still going to son, still going. And his mother also went to our church. And there, so everybody's still going but me and the girls. So come home and we get into this big argument. And I said, I'm leaving. One of the things that um, we had agreed to when we were in Philadelphia was that if we move together to Delaware, I don't have to leave again. Because all these times we broke up, I'd leave, pack up all my stuff, me and the girls, and then I'd come back, back up, leave, come back. And I said, if we get back together, I'm never packing up again. You have to promise me that if things don't work out, you're going to be the one to leave. So now here we are at 2003, and it's not working. And I said, you have to leave. And he went into a big argument. He says, I'm not going anywhere. And I said, okay. I said, I'm going to leave. But I knew at that moment that when I left, I wasn't coming back. So, so it's for, the, for, the women, for the women out there now that are dating, 20s, 30s, even 50s and 60s, Yes. What would you say to them in evaluating someone as a possible candidate? I would say several things. One, I would say you deserve the best. You deserve to be treated with the same treatment of how you're willing to treat your mate. If you're willing to give of yourself, you're willing to give of your heart, you're willing to give of yourself and pour yourself into a relationship, don't you deserve someone that's willing to give of themselves and pour into you in a relationship? Two people entwined together, coming together as one with the same mind, same heart. We don't value ourselves enough. That's when I say this to seniors. HIV is not something that's just affecting young people. This virus is moving through communities at the rate just as fast as it was using years ago, moving years ago. People think that HIV is gone because you don't hear it. You don't talk about it on the news. Yes, there's wonderful medication out there to take. But one of the sad things that happened in a lot of communities is Viagra hit the scene. When Viagra hit the scene, older men, now I have the libido, I have the strength, I'm Superman again, and they took their superpowers to the street. And as they took their superpowers to the street, they went all over the place. And as they went all over the place, they contracted this virus and they never knew. Seniors and people older, they can't get pregnant. So you feel like I don't have to use a condom because I can't get pregnant. I what I need a condom for. I can't have a baby. So they can begin to have sex. 
But what happened is a lot of the men had already been out in the streets with other people and younger people and people that have viruses, and then they bring them back. So we're finding an increase in senior citizens because seniors are having sex, but they're also having sex with people outside of the senior center and bringing this virus back into the senior center. Then they're having multiple partners in the senior center and unfortunately it's spreading among our seniors. So were there any tips or were there any specific techniques that you used when you did recognize all of the abuse and make the move to begin to heal yourself? and normalize your own life? It took me going through um, 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 psychological therapy. I had to see, I was depressed. I was in depression. I was stuck for a long time. I had to see a psychiatrist. I had to see a therapist. I had to get on medication. So I had when you, what made the, what made you, what was the trigger? What was that flip of the switch that made you make the decision to say, okay, yes, I'm going to see somebody? I, when the children were young and they were still in school, I would couldn't wait for these kids to leave the house and go to school. And when they would go to school, I would just sit there and cry all day. And I cried so much. Sometimes in my pillows would be so wet that you would think somebody came and poured a cup of water on me. That's how wet my pillows were. And I just got to a place where it was really, really dark and really, really bad. And my doctors recognized it. The one thing that I did do over the years, I've always seen my doctors because I have a lot of medical conditions. In addition to this HIV, I have other things that are going on with me. And my doctors recognized it. And so, several of my doctors, several times, recommended that I go talk to someone. And I'm so glad that they did. So they saw that. They could see where I was. And once they... When, when it kept happening, when every time I go to an appointment, different doctors were saying, you need to see somebody. Then I said, you know what? I do need to see somebody. Maybe if I talk. And then once I started seeing her, mm -hmm. I saw it, it, it helped me to pull through. So some people, how, and this how is a long, thing. How long did it take you to trust her once you began going to the appointments? Months. Months. Wow. It wasn't okay. initially. I didn't, when I first started going, I didn't open up. But the young lady that I had, the therapist that I had, this young lady was initially was like, oh, she's young. She's a kid. She's not going to understand what I'm going through. But as I finally began to open up and I began to talk to her, I did see that I was being freed by talking to her. I was being freed by once I started taking the medication, I could see the difference. I could see it helping. And as I began to see that, I began to open up. And when I really truly opened up and just like flat out went to cry, I, I done cried all over the place. I done cried over a whole bunch of people <laughs> through the years. But when I finally just opened up, it really, really helped. And I want to say this to people, especially people of faith. At the time that I was seeing the psychiatrist, at this point now, I'm an evangelist. So at this point, I went to school and I had got my um, license to preach and I'm an evangelist now at this point. But I'm still depressed. And I then was locked into a whole nother type of fear that I'm an evangelist. I should have faith. How can a person who has faith be sitting in a psychiatrist's office? So then I got to this place where I'm embarrassed about sitting in the psychiatrist's office and sitting in a therapist's office because like, I'm an evangelist. I'm supposed to have faith. Why are you sitting in a psychiatrist's office? So I want to say to every person of faith, God gave me the wisdom to see a heart doctor. 
because my heart is messed up and I'm having problems. God gave you the wisdom to see the kidney doctor. You have a problem with your kidneys. You're, in my case, my kidneys were only functioning at 50%. Guess what? I started seeing the specialist. God gave me the wisdom to go to that specialist. My heart is messed up. He gave me the wisdom. I have HIV, so I have to see an infectious disease doctor. But God gave me the wisdom. He gave you the wisdom to see all these professionals because you have something that's wrong with your body. You have no problem getting up and going and seeing your heart doctor, your kidney doctor, your lung doctor, your HIV doctor. You also have another problem. Mental illness is a problem in our community, and we got to stop sitting in denial of it. So if he gives you the window wisdom to go see somebody, go see them. I had to have a, just the same faith that I had to have to have the wisdom to go see the heart doctor. I had to have that same faith to have the wisdom to go see the psychiatrist. Now, was there any particular technique that the therapist used in your counseling sessions or was it just talking to her that made it you feel? It was talking. Yeah. It, it wasn't, I can't think of any specific technique that she used. But what she did, or anything she that she had you talk. practice, like at home or between appointments. I can't, you know, it's been years, so I, I apologize that I don't remember every instruction that she gave me. But what I do remember was just being freed by releasing it. That for me is what I remember as the biggest thing that happened in seeing the therapist is releasing all this stuff that I felt like I couldn't tell anybody, I couldn't talk about. Like a lot of the stuff that happened to me and a lot of the stuff that happened in our relationship, mm -hmm. my family didn't know about. My family didn't know until I wrote the book. And what seeing her allowed me to release to the point where now I was able to talk to my children about some of the stuff that was happening. I was able to talk to my sisters. I was able to talk to my girlfriends. So was that, a, was that a key? Was that a key that led to you writing the book? Oh yeah, that's exact. That's actually the exact thing that led to me writing the book. So one of that's one of the things the therapist actually told me to do. She told me to write down. She said, "Darling, I want you to start writing down your thoughts. I want you to write down what is happening to you. I want you to write down what you're feeling." And I started writing. So when you read my book, you'll see it kind of reads like a journal because it actually is a journal. It's me journaling what was happening and what I was going through that day and what I was feeling that day. So that was one of the, that, that I would say is a technique. <laughs> so yes. open it up, the book is HIV Infected by Our Cheating Pastor Husband, yes. A Wife's Courageous True Story of Betrayal, Survival and Forgiveness. If someone wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best <laughs> way to contact you? The best way to contact me is probably email, I would say, email or or, or Facebook. So if you email me, is Darlene, D-A-R-L-E-N-E-K-I-N-G-1-3 at Hotmail.com. Darlene King 13 at Hotmail.com. I'm on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Darlene King 13 and on Facebook, same thing. If you type in at Darlene King 13, I'll pop right up.